All right. Well, LifePoint Church, I want you to know that uh, uh, people have sent me two COVID masks. Uh, they're concerned for me, okay? And so I want us to do a little voting. Let me know what you think of this first one right here. This one's I call the flower Hawaiian one. What, what do you think about that, okay? And then this one, someone sacrificed a Tommy Bahama shirt I call this the Tommy Bahama one. So tell me what you think about this one. There you go. On Facebook, just let me know which one that you like and why you like it. My name is Pastor George, and we are celebrating today our 31st Easter together. Now, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that we're not celebrating in a traditional way. In fact, for the very first time in the history of Christianity, the church is not gathering together in large groups around the world. But that is okay, because we can still celebrate Easter, because it is not about a location. It is about a celebration. And though I don't, or though I can't keep you from getting a pandemic disease, I can help you avoid dis-ease. I can help you avoid spiritual and emotional discomfort during this pandemic because we are celebrating Easter. And Easter changed everything. In fact, it changed history. It divided history into two parts, A.D. and B.C. Every time you see a date, the reference point is the resurrection. It's Easter. Not only that, it, 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 it proved to us that Jesus was who he said he was. When he was on this earth, he said, you know what? To prove to you that I am God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow myself to die, be crucified on a cross, and then three days later, I'm going to resurrect. And that's exactly what he did. It proved that he was God. But not only that, it helped us to understand that what you and I go through in life is not the end. You see, if I were to ask you, how are you doing right now with everything that's going on in your world, in our world, you might say, well, I'm doing fine. But if you got to a place where you were really honest, you might say, you know what? How in the world did I get to a place where I feel lonely and confused and afraid and fearful and ashamed and useless? Folks, this is where the disciples were at 2,000 plus years ago. As a result of the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, they felt discouraged and defeated and demoralized and disillusioned. They felt like they were in a prison. And they were wondering how in the world did they get to this place? Because it was just a few days earlier that they entered into Jerusalem triumphantly. And yet after three days or after the crucifixion on Easter, these disciples were set free. Those who were cowards became courageous. Those who were empty felt empowered. Those who felt defeated and demoralized and discouraged became daring. What happened you see, how many of us 
right now would like to be in a different place, okay? Not in our shelter and homes for 24-7. I'm sure a lot of us would. Today on Easter, I want us to take a look at how Jesus got these disciples out of the prison that they were in into a different place. And I want to take this story out of John chapter 20 and apply it to ourselves with the prisons that we may feel like we're in because God wants to get us to a different place. I'm sure some of you right here, like I said, you may be feeling empty or, or, or trapped by uh, finances or a relationship or, or, or trapped spiritually. Today, I want us to take a look at how Jesus can get you to a different place. Now, this story with the disciples, like I mentioned, is in John chapter 20. And I want to read this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, folks, they were in prison. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Please, or peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I don't know where you are at specifically. You may be feeling empty. You may be feeling fatigued and fearful or unloved, or lonely, or useless. I just want you to know, I have got some good news for you, because in this Easter story are seven things that God did for his disciples that he wants to do for you, to get you out of your prison, so that you can experience the resurrection life. The very first thing that Jesus wants to do for you in your prison is simply this. He wants to meet you where you are. In this story, these disciples are hiding in a room behind locked doors, and Jesus shows up. When you find yourself in a prison behind locked doors, guess what? He knows where you are. And he shows up. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, It was late that Sunday evening, and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the authorities. Then Jesus came and stood amongst them. Jesus took the initiative, and he shows up for the disciples. And notice that it's late have you ever been upset about something that's going on in your world and you haven't been able to sleep? Well, that's what's going on with these disciples. 
And because they've been up late, they are fatigued. And where there is fatigue, there's fear. Vince Lombardi said it like this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And folks, it does. These guys are afraid. They are locked behind closed doors. They are in a situation of shelter in place. And they are fatigued. Now, locked doors, no doubt, can keep people out. But they also keep things in. And that is what fear creates within a person. It creates, it creates turmoil and unrest. And Jesus comes in and he says, I want to relieve you of your fear. And he shows up. And just like he showed up with those disciples, he will show up for you. But here's the deal. you got to recognize him. And a lot of times we don't because we're not looking for him. Right now, you may feel like God is a million miles away in your life, that he isn't even aware of what you are going through. But folks, he is closer than you think. He is here and he is near and he wants to help you with your fear. The second thing that Jesus gives you and I when we feel like we are in prison is he wants to give you encouragement. The very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples while they are behind locked doors is this, peace be with you. In other words, he's saying to them, hey, guys, chill out. Everything's going to be okay. I am in control. I am resurrected, and I am God. I am in control. Now, I absolutely love this because of what Jesus didn't say. Jesus could have popped into that room and said, guys, why in the world did you leave me? Why in the world did you abandon me? Folks, he could have rebuked them. He could have scolded them. He could have put them down. He could have corrected them. But what does he do? He encourages them. And the first thing that Jesus does when he shows up speaking into your imprisonment is he speaks words of encouragement. Now, why in the world did Jesus do this? Because he knew that they were confused. Any of us confused with what's going on in our world right now? But get this. Nobody knows how you feel better than Jesus Christ. In fact, God knows you better and how you feel then you know how you feel. During this time, uh, as I come home from work, Jesus, or, uh, Cheryl asked me two questions, okay? Uh, what did you do today, and uh, how do you feel? And I always answer very, very short statements. Uh, I did everything. I did the same thing that I did yesterday, and I feel three ways, hot, cold, and okay. 
When I asked Cheryl, hey, uh, what did you do today and how do you feel? 25 minutes later, after she has dumped on me 30,000 words, <laughs> uh, we come to a different subject matter, okay? Uh, just kidding. But I think you understand what I mean. The point that I'm trying to make is this. God understands you whether you are a man or a woman. And he knew what these guys, his disciples, were going through. That they were confused. And confusion is a hallmark sign of feeling trapped. Now because God understands how you feel about everything, whether it is big or whether it is small, I say this, talk to him about it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, Do not worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how many times that I have personally experienced God's peace because I prayed and didn't panic, or because I worshiped and I didn't worry. I have no doubts in my mind that some of us are confused and we are panicked, maybe about our kids or a homeschooling situation that's going on now, or work or our finances or our health or maybe even our spiritual condition. You're confused. And so I say this, give it to God. Just come to Jesus and just simply say, God, I'm going to trust you with this. And you can fill in the blank. And then say, in Jesus' name. Because when you pray, you're not going to panic. You're going to have an internal peace that will help you be calm. So when you feel imprisoned, remember that Jesus shows up. Remember that he speaks words of encouragement to you. The third thing that Jesus does is that he shows you his love. This is what he did for the disciples. In verse 20, it says, as he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. They were filled with joy when they saw their Lord. Well, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's doing a couple of things. The first thing that he's doing is he is validating his identity. He's saying, hey guys, I'm real. I'm just not some illusion in your mind. I'm real. In fact, I'm God and I'm more real than you. But the second thing that he is doing is that he is showing them how much he loves them. He's saying, I love you this much. Now you might think that the greatest act of love that has ever been demonstrated to you is when your parents brought you into this world. Or that significant other married you. Or you were accepted by some type of peer group. 
But truly, the greatest act of love that was ever demonstrated to you was when Jesus died on the cross for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he was saying, I love you this much. I love you so much that I am willing to die for you. I I can't live without you. No man or woman has ever loved you as much as Jesus Christ loves you. Take a look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, how does that help you and I when we feel like we are in a prison, that we are trapped? Well, here's how it helps. It helps you to relax. You see, the reason that we get so worked up on the inside where we continually drive ourselves is because we don't feel loved. Insecurity, the fear of failure, the feeling that I have to prove myself drives us internally. And as a result, you know what? We miss all the blessings that are around us. However, when you really feel loved by God, when you drop it from your head into your heart, all of a sudden you have a peace that goes beyond understanding. And you are not being driven by circumstances that are going on in your world or driven by other people. Rather, you are focused on your relationship and God's love for you. And so you relax. And so God says to you, I want, you to, I want to bring my love to you. The fourth thing that he does, as we are feeling trapped and in prison, is this, is that he offers you forgiveness. This is the fourth thing that Jesus did with his disciples. And this is extremely important because unforgiveness is a huge trap in our lives. In fact, the two biggest traps are guilt and resentment. You and I can't be happy and guilty at the same time. We can't be resentful and guilty at the same time. Those two things, guilt for things that I've done and resentment for things that you've done to me, keep me in prison. It keeps me locked up emotionally, mentally, and folks, it can even keep us locked up physically. And so if you're going to get out of the prison that you are in, one thing is going to have to happen. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of others, of things that they've done to you, and forgiveness of what you've done to others. 
Jesus said it like this to his disciples in John 20, verse 23. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, they are, uh, what are you going to do with them? You may have heard that verse like this, because some translations translate it this way. What you have forgiven will be forgiven, and what you have not forgiven will not be forgiven. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, guys, what I did on the cross was for you. You are forgiven. Now go and do the same with other people. Why? Because guilt and resentment, folks, they keep us trapped. They keep us in a prison. They keep us stuck in our past. They, they, they warp our personality where we get angry and sarcastic and bitter, causing us to regress as opposed to progress. Guilt and resentment ruin relationships. When you and I don't let go of things, of hurts that we have had in our past, what we do is we bring those into our future new relationships, and that kills them. Personally, there have been times in my life where I have been stabbed in the back by a friend. And it has kept me up all night, stewing and spewing, writing a hateful email, if you know what I'm talking about, in my mind. But then I've realized, you know what? That is not doing me any good whatsoever. And I have cried out to God. I said, God, help me let it go. God wants you to do the same thing. Forgiveness is the key to freedom. Notice what David said in Psalms 32. Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven and whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty anymore. Will you circle the word happy that's mentioned two times? The key to freedom is forgiveness. And if you have been forgiven by God, guess what? You have got the most to celebrate. He offers forgiveness because he is a resurrected God. Now I know some of you right now may not believe this because of the body that I have, okay? But I love donuts. <laughs> I love those eclair, okay, donuts that has the caramel, not the chocolate, but the caramel icing on top that are filled with cream. That cream, I'm telling you this, it is the nectar of the gods, okay? I love it, okay? Now, it's interesting to me, whenever we are facing emptiness in our life, we are going to fill ourselves up with something. I just kind of wonder, as we are all in shelter-in-place situations, what we are filling our lives up with. Binge 
watching some, I don't know, series that's on TV, watching reruns of past great sporting events, food, alcohol. Hey, here's a popular one, work. Lots and lots of work. You see, it's interesting to me as we go through times of uncertainty where we feel like we are in a prison. We like to fill ourselves up with something to, 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 to fill up that void. But what's interesting, whatever we might fill that void with, they all have one thing in common, and that is they don't last. They don't satisfy our appetites. We get hungry again. But Jesus Christ comes along as God himself, and he offers a permanent filling. He says, guys, I want to put myself in you. I just don't want to show up and be with you. I want to be living in you. And that is the next thing that Jesus did with his disciples. And that's the next thing that he does for you. He fills you with his presence. He says, I just don't want to be with you. I want to be in you. Verse 22, then Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, I can tell you this. It's not a ghost that you might have seen on the movie Ghostbusters, okay? And it's not uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost, that uh, a cartoon show that I grew up with uh, uh, years and years ago, okay? What's he talking about here? He's talking about God indwelling you 24-7, moment by moment. The Bible calls this being filled with the Spirit. Now, I know that may sound kind of spooky to you. Spirit-filled. What does that mean? Does it mean that you're going to become some religious fanatic? <laughs> that you're going to become some weirdo, some, some wacko? No, not at all. Folks, God doesn't need any more weirdos in our world, okay? The reality is, when you get God in your life, you become more you. You become more natural. You, you, if you are a man, you become more masculine. If you are a woman, you become more feminine. Now, how does that work? Well, it works because God is now inside of you. Not just with you and around you, but he is inside of you, repairing the broken pieces. So it makes you more normal. It makes you more alive. It makes you more you, more authentic. It, it helps you to be more blessed. Now, what does that look like? Because a lot of times we think hey, it looks weird as we watch other people. Folks, let me just share with you a couple of things. First of all, it stops you from feeling lonely. Because God is not only with you, he is inside of you. In the Pfizer clan, I am considered the professional. 
And when there is a wedding or there is a funeral, I get asked to do them. I go back up to Missouri oftentimes and I'll do a wedding or I'll do a funeral. Well, a number of years ago, my dad passed away. And my mom asked me to, to do my dad's funeral, which I, I wanted to do. But, but when I do weddings or whether I do funerals, oftentimes I have to put my emotions on the side and I have to be the professional and I have to orchestrate or I have to care, in this case, at a funeral for people. And several weeks went by before I began to realize, you know what? I'm grieving and I feel lonely. And I felt lonely, not just because I had to kind of postpone my grief, but I felt lonely because now there was one less person in my life that knew me from birth on. But they were no longer here. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you know exactly how, how, how I feel. And when those waves of loneliness would come over me, I would just cry out to God, God, help me to realize that you are not only with me, but help me to realize that your presence is inside of me. And when I did that, folks, I had a peace that came over me that can't even be explained. Now, I would have you know that this is not normal. I have done literally hundreds of funerals for families who didn't know Christ, who, whose hearts were filled with fear as they looked at that casket thinking that it was the end. And so it helps you and I to know that God is not only with us, but he's in us. It helps us with our loneliness. On top of that, when you are filled with God's spirit, you start producing qualities that help you progress out of the prison. It's called the fruit of the spirit, and there are nine of them mentioned in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Those things come not with God being on the outside of you, but rather by God being on the inside of you. And it helps you to not regress, but it helps you to progress. Have you ever been told, you know what? You are full of it. How are you supposed to take that? Do you take that as a criticism or do you take that as a compliment? Well, it all depends, doesn't it? If you are full of yourself, well, that's a bad thing. That's a criticism. But if you are full and full of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., fruits of the Spirit, folks, that is a compliment. And it's God's Spirit that helps us move out of the prison that we are in to a different and preferred future. Take a look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. The spirit that God has given us does not make us timid. Instead, his spirit fills us with power and love and self-control. And we need all three of those things. We need power 
to keep going, to be, keep making progress. We need love to build the relationships that we have. And we need self-control so that we don't self-destruct through habits that aren't good for us. And so he fills you and I with his presence. The sixth thing that Jesus gives you and I to get us out of our prison is that he gives us a new reason for living. Now this is extremely important as well because one reason that we feel so trapped in life is because we don't know what our purpose is. And I think this is especially true as our economy is stalled right now. We need to realize something. That you and I were made for more than money. We were made for meaning. And money can't replace meaning. So what do you and I do? We got to let God give us his purpose for our life. And I know what you might be thinking. George, I don't know if I want to give my life over to God's purposes that he has for me. Because I don't want to be like those other, I don't know, so-called Christians that, that sit around in a circle holding hands and sharing precious promises and singing, Kumbaya, Lord, Kumbaya. Pastor George, I, I just can't do that. Well, guess what? I'm with you. Folks, I want something bigger than that. I, I want something bigger that gets me out of my self-imposed prison that helps me to make progress, that, that, that I know my life is being used in a significant way. And let me say this, you won't discover that until you surrender your life to God's purposes for you. God's purpose and plans and dreams for your life are much bigger than your purpose and your plans and your dreams for your life. And it only happens when you and I surrender our plans, our purpose, our dreams, and we say, God, I want your plan. I want your dream. I want your purpose for my life. God wants to use you, and he wants to help you get out of that prison of just self. This is what Jesus did for his disciples. Take a look at verse 21. Then Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I now send you. Jesus is saying, hey guys, I know you blew it, but everything is okay. I have got a plan, and the plan that I have for you, it is bigger than your plan. I am going to help you be world changers. And they did. Those disciples changed the world. Today, there are 2.4 billion people, one out of every three people, claim to be a follower of Christ. And those guys experienced something that they had never experienced before. So let me ask you this. What are you living for? Not what are you living on. 
We who live in America, I tell you, we got a lot to live on. My question is, what are you living for? You need a purpose bigger than yourself that will get you outside of yourself. Outside of your self-imposed prison. So what is that? Well, it's this in Philippians 2, 15. Paul said, go out into the world uncorrupted like a breath of fresh air in a squalid and polluted society. And I might paraphrase uh, with the coronavirus. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the life or light-giving message into the night. You must shine among them like stars lighting up the sky. God wants you to be a breath of fresh air by the way you're living your life, not for yourself, but thinking of others. And he wants you to be a star in a dark world where you stand up and say, you know what? I'm following a resurrected Savior. The last thing that Jesus did with his followers that he wants to do for you is this. He wants to help you believe. He wants to help you believe. In spite of all your doubts that you might have about Christianity, about Jesus, guess what? He just wants to help you believe. Now, one of the 12 disciples that I absolutely love is Thomas. And I want you to read his story out of John 20. It says this, Now Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. First time that Jesus popped in. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said, Unless I see the nail marks of his hands and put my hand into his side wound, I will not believe it. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out and put your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I absolutely love Thomas. And I loved him because I love him because he was authentic. He was real. He was expressing his doubt. He was, he was saying, you know what? I'm not just going to believe that Jesus is the Lord uh, just because you guys say it. No, I want to see it with my own eyes. Now, I want to say something about doubt. Doubt, folks, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Not at all. Doubt isn't necessarily a bad thing if it motivates you to investigate. But if you don't investigate, it is a bad thing. It keeps you in your prison. And that is why I say, hey, when in doubt, check things out. Don't remain in that condition. Investigate things. And I like, I like Thomas because, folks, he was honest. And he wanted to experience it for himself. The second reason why I like Thomas was because he was hanging out with believers and that makes sense if you want to make progress out of the, 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 the prison that you are in. If you continue to hang out with doubters, 
you're not going to make any progress. You're just going to get receive the same information over and over again. But if you hang out with believers, folks, it's possible that you might get some of your questions answered. Doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing if you investigate. And so do it with believers. And if you're here virtually with us, hey, I'm glad you're here. I, we at Life One, we love doubters. And I'd love for you to call. We'd like to talk with you about any questions that you might have. But the third thing that I like about Thomas is that eventually when he faces reality, folks, he doesn't waver and he doesn't become prideful. He just says, my Lord and my God. He makes a decision given the evidence. Now, if you have doubts as you listen to this message, may I give you three suggestions? The first one is simply this. Look at the whole world. There are 2.0 billion followers of Christ. Not all of them can be crazy, okay? Secondly, when it comes to doubt, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Oftentimes in, uh, in uncertainty, we like to doubt our beliefs and, and believe our doubts. But we're in reality, we need to do the same thing. In our world, folks, there's a lot of things that I don't understand. I don't understand how planes fly, and I don't understand how TVs work, okay? But that doesn't prevent me from believing in planes or TVs, and it doesn't prevent me from enjoying them. In the same way, you don't have to understand everything about God to believe in Him or to enjoy Him. All you have to do and know is just this, really simple, that God entered into our world, into human history, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for you, and he resurrected from the grave to prove to you that he was God, and that your sins, if you believed in him, would be taken from you and put on the cross where you could have life and get out of your prison. And that can happen simply by just saying, God, I believe that you died for me, though I don't understand it all. Right now, I believe it. Help me with my unbelief. You can do that. One day, in Jesus' ministry, a person came to him, a father, and he asked Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus asked him a very simple question, do you believe that I can? And he said, I do believe, but help me with my doubts. Today, will you say, I believe? Say it in your heart. Help me with my unbelief, though, God, and let me know. You can text 94,000 and enter new start, one word, and I'll get you some literature to help you understand what you've just done.
So let me summarize. If you are feeling trapped, Jesus wants you to do seven things. He wants you, he wants to meet you where you are. If you're afraid, he wants to encourage you. If you are confused, he wants to show you his love. If you feel unloved, he wants to forgive you if you feel shame. He wants to forgive, or he wants to fill you if you feel lonely. He wants, he wants to give you a new reason for living if you feel useless. And he wants to help you believe if you doubt. Jesus did all of these things to help his disciples get out of the prison that they were in, into a different place, into experiencing a resurrected life. And he said it like this in John 20, 29. You believe because you have seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Now we're at the end of our service. And as we typically do, we are going to take our offering. But we're going to do it virtually. And you can do that by texting 73256 and entering the word Life Point Church, one word. And you can give your Easter offerings to God and to life point. And if you prayed that prayer of saying, God, I believe, Jesus, I believe, help me with my doubts, will you let me know? Will you text 94,000 and enter the word, one word, new start? If you are in need of prayer, will you again text 94,000 and enter life point prayer, one word. Or if you would like to get into a group and begin to discuss the, the validity of the resurrection, will, will you text 94,000 and enter life point groups, one word, and we will get with you. If you need to talk with some today, guess what? We're live. You can call someone at our number, 972-335-3112. Let me pray, and let's celebrate Easter together. Lord, we thank you that you chose to come into our world to leave heaven above, that we might understand who you are that we might understand that we were made by you and that we were made for you and that you made us to love us. And God, we thank you for that. For some of us, will you just drop him from your head to your heart by just simply saying this, God, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Will you let me know if you did that? If you've already done that, thank God 
celebrate. God, thank you for the forgiveness that I have in you, that I am no longer locked up in my prison, that life can't hold me back, that I can experience a new kind of life, a resurrected life right with you, and I can be in a different place as a result. God, I thank you for this Easter. I thank you that we could gather together virtually like this and we can celebrate it because it's not about a place, God. It's not about a location. It is not about a building. It is about a celebration. God, we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Easter, Life Point. Happy Easter, everybody. Have a great Easter weekend.